the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and the man. <coughs> Today is the 30th day of the month of Tuba, which means this is the fifth Sunday of the month. And on the fifth Sunday of the month, we read the gospel of the miracle of the five loaves of the, and the two fish. It's very familiar to us. We hear it repeatedly in the church every time there is a fifth Sunday of the month. And it's, it's said in the four Gospels, one of the few things that we can see it all across the four Gospels, not just the three similar or synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, but this miracle we can see it in the four Gospels. The one thing that struck me, and I would like to meditate on it, the way it was worded here in the Gospel of St. Of John, it began that Jesus lifted up his eyes and he saw the multitude, and then he asked Philip, one of his disciples, what can we do to, to give them? Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? And, and according to the narrative of St. John, he said that, or he asked that question to test him. So Philip did the math quickly. And, and he was right. He said, okay, we want to give them just a little, little thing, something, something little, a snack. So to give them a snack, how much do we need? And he made, did the math, and it's 200 denarii. That's, that's a big chunk of money. I mean, if you give a snack for 5,000 people, that's, that's a, a lot of money. He told him, how, how can we get 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them. Even this. And that every one of them may have a little. So he made his calculation based in, in the very little. And it, it doesn't work. It's not sufficient. Neither for them, nor we have the money from where they can get 200 denarii. And, and then Jesus did the miracle from out of two, lo- two fish and, and five loaves, and, and he fed 5,000, and as we know, 12 baskets of, of uh, remains were remaining. This story and this miracle reminded me by a verse in, in the book of Isaiah, and I think this is what I'm go- I would like to share a meditation on, on this sermon. God was speaking to his people through Isaiah the prophet saying, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. So my thoughts and my ways are different from yours, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than, e- than earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So, the calculation, our calculations, Philip's calculations, Philip's calculations, versus what Jesus did. He did the math right. 200 denarii cannot buy enough bread for 5,000 people. They don't have the money, and they cannot find that bread in, in the wilderness. That's our thoughts. 
that's our calculations, which are right based on the math, what we've learned in school as far as math. But God's ways are very different. God's thoughts are very different. I want to speak of four things that can define what is the mind of God, what are the thoughts of God. I mean, we can say a lot of things, but I picked, I think, four things which are very relevant. If we really want to come closer and closer to God's mind, if you want to have His mind, His thoughts, and we can. He told the people when they are away from Him that my thoughts are, are higher than your thoughts. But when we unite with Him, we get into union with Him, our thoughts become His, his thoughts, or His thoughts become ours. Because we become united with Him. And I think this is what is, what is meant and repeatedly said in the Bible, that we are in Christ. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things, but only in Christ. Apart from Him, His ways are much higher. His thoughts are much higher than ours. But when we are in Him, we have the mind of Christ. And again, so I, can, I think we can, we can speak of four things that can define what the mind of Christ is. And especially if we are called Christians, which means we are related to Him. We are belonging to Him. The first thing, something we have learned and, and we've heard repeatedly in the church, in the Bible, true love is the first thing that can define the mind of God. I don't know if you've heard this or not. There are many words that can be translated into love in the Greek language. The Greek language has many words that can be translated into love in English. And I'm going to, there are three important ones that are re relevant when we speak of the true love of God. The first one, Eros. Have you heard of erotic? Bad word, right? Always erotic or eros is related to sensual, sexual desires. That the love that uses other for his or her own gratification, self-gratification. So yes, I deal with someone, but for my own benefit and gratification. And, and again, this word, this kind of love is, is always related to sexual desires and sensual gratification. This is a very bad kind of love. The next level is philia. Philia is the, the natural love. Be nice. I think this is what, what has been promoted in, the, in societies in general. Societies are pursuing and, and, and longing for having the people be courteous to each other. People respect the freedom of others, the boundaries of others. Be nice to others. This is philia. So this is the love. I, you, someone is loving you, you, lo you should be nice to that person. Be nice to each other. 
This is the failure. And then, that's, that's a good one. I mean, if, if there is a, a society that has that kind of failure, it would be a, a nice place to live in. But there is a higher love, which is the agape. The agape. The agape is the, the love that can give oneself for the other. That's the selfless love. Eros is a very self-centered love. But agape is the love that gives, gives oneself. This is the love of God to us. Who gave His only Son for, for, for our salvation. I think this is the kind of love that can be characterized as Christian. It can love an enemy. It can love someone who is maybe willing to do harm to me. But I still can love that person. I can forgive that person. I think this is when we, we try to pursue this kind of love. I think this is when we, we are willing to become closer to the mind of Christ. And this leads to the, the second the second uh, characteristic of, of the mind of Christ. How can we have his mind? I think it's putting his example and setting his example before our eyes. It has been said in, in the Bible more than once. Even Jesus Christ himself, after he washed the feet of his disciples, he told them, do you know what I did? I, I washed your feet, and I am the Lord and the teacher, and I did that, so you can do the same, that you can do the same to each other. You should wash the, the feet of each other. I, I gave you an example. I gave you an example as a, as a teacher and as a Lord. I gave you an example. That's why we need to set that example. Last Friday in the Arabic Bible meeting, we were speaking of the, the first epistle of St. Peter, and he mentioned the same thing. He, spoke, he was speaking of the suffering, that Christians can suffer for their faith. And, and they shouldn't be, they, they might be innocent, but they're still suffering. And this is following the example of Christ. He said in chapter 2, for to this you were called. To suffer even if you are innocent. Because Christ also suffered for us. Leaving us an example. That you should follow his steps. Following his steps. I think from that idea came the WWJD. What would Jesus do? In Christianity. Christianity I think the only belief that has a personal God. Who is very, he's uh, the, the almighty, the creator but he is also the one who came to us. And we saw him. We, we knew what he did. We have seen his interactions with people like us. And he was someone like us. Except he was united with the divinity. So we can set his example and we can ask this question in every situation. If Christ is in my place... What would he do? 
And if I got an answer to that question, I am asked if I want to have his mind that I'm going to follow his steps. That I'm going to follow his steps. So I think to have the mind of Christ is needs that I have Christ before my eyes. That's why a relationship with God means that I'm always reminded, I do everything and anything that make him before my eyes. Like David said in the psalm, I set God before my eyes all day long. All day long. Every time, all the time. That's why we need to be in a spiritual environment. We are not, we are not, the world is not, is, I mean, especially society now is very antagonistic, very much against any belief, religion. But we, we as Christians, we need to try to help ourselves. The music we are listening to, the, the, the readings we are reading, Anything we do, we need to do it in a way that would help us to be closer to God. To have Him before our eyes so we can follow His example. The more we are distant, the more we are just doing, going by, in the motion, by the motion, and, and going from a task to the other without having God in our minds, I think it, make it makes it very hard to, to set Him as an example before our eyes. A third thing is submission. If we admitted that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and that's why we want to acquire his mind, we need to submit to him. And submission is a big word. It has so many things underneath it. It implies so many things. It implies that we trust him. We believe in him. We are sure that what he said is true. And anything that contradicts with what he said is absolutely untrue. That's what, what is meant by submitting to him. We believe and trust his words. He is true. He's a real God. And if he's real, we follow him. I think this is submission. And we accept His will in our lives. Not everything happens in our lives is what we want. But He knows what we need. You know the difference between what we want and what we need. We want a lot of things. But not all what we want is beneficial to us. He knows what we need. Even sometimes we need some hardships. Hardships can be helpful to us. And Jesus, going off the, 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 the second point, the, the following his example, Jesus Christ himself, when he came in the flesh, in this world, he submitted to the will of the Father. The, St. Paul says, uh, uh, he was reciting a liturgical hymn. I mean, when we pray, the deacons, that they lead the people to say hymns in the liturgy. One of the hymns, St. Paul said, that was used in the church at the time of St. Paul. He quoted in the, the, the epistle to the Ephesians. And, and he said the following, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, 
coup. And, and the following is the, the, this hymn, this liturgical hymn. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So he was equal to God. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant, and coming in the likeness of man, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient. He submitted, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. But God exalted him. So I think we submit to him. The more we submit to him, we do his commandments, the more we have his mind. We are shaped by him. I think that's, that's a big question we need to ask ourselves. All, what we, all our experiences, all our experiences, have an effect on our lives, on how we think. But which experiences, has, which experiences have the more effect? Is it the experiences we experience out of the church? Experiences that are, again, as I said, the society is, is antagonistic to anything related to belief. At least the general rhetoric we hear from the society. So we need to ask ourselves, my mind, the way I think, how is it shaped? Is it really shaped by the Bible? Is it really shaped by the, by, by the church? Or we take bits and pieces, part from here, part from, of there. We want to compromise. We don't want to be very much Christian. Being too much Christian is not easy. It's tough. It's dangerous sometimes. We need to think of that. But if I'm submitting, if I'm willing to have the mind of Christ, I think we shouldn't compromise. The last thing, we're going, the more we have the mind of Christ, we live a worry-free life. We wish to have a worry-free life. And we know that the plague of our time is depression and anxiety. I mean, it's a plague. A plague. I think it's, it's a pandemic. It's a pandemic. The more I, I deal with people here in Egypt, the more I can see the, the, the dangerous pandemic, which may be contagious and, and widespread as the coronavirus, is depression and, and, and anxiety. Depression and anxiety. So if you have the mind of Christ, we are happy with what you have. And we are sure that He's leading our lives. That He takes care of us. When, when God asked us not to worry, He's said that because He is the omnipotent. Omnipotent means the Almighty. He is the one who knows everything. He knows what we need. He is the one who takes care of us. When he said, don't worry, he said it as someone who is almighty, and who, as someone who is omni-benevolent. Omni, omni means all. Benevolent, he does everything good. So he is the one who does everything good to us. And he is the lover of mankind. And if he is the lover of mankind, he takes care of us. That's why in that context, when he said, don't worry, because you're father. He didn't say you're God. 
He said, because the God is your father, is the one who takes care of you. That's why you, you should leave everything on him. And surprisingly, I was searching a verse about submitting to God, the third point. And I found that the one after, after it is about living a worry-free life. Because they are very much intertwined. The more you submit to him, the more you get rid of your worries, of your anxiety, of your depression. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourself means submit to him. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. That he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him. Casting all your care upon him. For he cares for you. First Peter chapter 5. For he cares for you. I think when you have his mind. That's why we are asked to have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you. The mind of Christ. That's why our mind becomes higher. He told the people, my ways and my thoughts are higher than your ways and your thoughts. But if we come closer to him, we unite with him. His minds and his thoughts become ours. And this is what we pray for. And we need to think of, we don't want to use math and, and we can use that in our jobs. Where it can be used, the problem, we rely on our minds we rely on our thoughts in everything, in things that are out of our control, that we know that it cannot help us. I mean, we cannot avoid death. There is no way, except in Him. Yeah, we go to the doctors, we take care of our health, but we know, at the end of the day, even if there a problem now is in the medical field, that people are healthy, but they have dementia, they have Alzheimer's, one of the big challenges, I've heard one of the scientists many years ago, he said the, the fifth the challenge of science for the coming 50 years, Ahmed Zuhair, I remember hearing this from him many years ago, he gave a speech, he's, what, the first challenge before science is Alzheimer. People are aging, they are becoming healthier. But, but again, what I'm trying to say, we, we can take care of our health, but we know that the end but in Christ, there is no death for your servant of the departure. That's why we, we need to be reminding ourselves of this all the time. We need to have his mind. We need to, we need to have true love, imitating him, following his example, and submitting to him. And then we can live a worry-free life, and glory be to God forever.